0: Hey, everyone. It's Brian with Wildcat Radio. We are continuing our coverage of Arizona football. If you didn't catch our last fall camp update last week, definitely do so in our podcast feed. And Ronnie and Adam will give a full recap of what happened in fall camp in this coming week. In the meantime, we're continuing our 12-pack radio series of all the Pac-12 football teams. And this week we covered Oregon. So here it is. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, the most interesting podcast in your face covering Pac-12 football news. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. I know it's been a while since we've recorded, but Rob had to find the the secret orb of Questor in Wyoming, and it took him a week and a half to wander the the forests there, and I had to do a bunch of work stuff, but we are back, and we're back, and we really wanted to cover the best teams. This is part five of our, hopefully, 12-part series covering every Pac-12 team. Um and I am joined, as always, by Rob Baron, the the head of uh, Sharp College Football and the Beta Inc. Advanced College Football Advanced Statistical Model. Rob, what's going on? Oh no, I'm I'm glad to be back in civilization
1: uh, and not wandering around the Big Horns of Wyoming uh, with no cell service. I mean, it's nice to have no cell service so the work can't find you, but it's also nice to be back.
0: No, absolutely, and, and a really fun team to cover. And, uh, but before we do, just some quick housekeeping items. You can follow the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, any podcast. Catch her out there. We're on there. We're covering Pac-12 football news. We will go weekly throughout the entire season, and we cover off-season uh, work. So if you want to subscribe, do so for free. You can also follow us for free on uh, Twitter at 12-Pack Radio, and you can follow us on our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, where all of Rob's advanced statistics are located and just some really, really cool tools that we'll probably go into at the end. But that's... That is neither here nor there. We have a special guest from the Quack Twelve podcast, Mister Adam Chimeo, somebody who we've been kept uh, keeping up with for probably two years now. Adam, I really like your stuff. You guys do excellent work at Addicted to Quack, and the podcast uh, consistently records and covers Oregon football and and Oregon. Like you even got into softball a couple times. That's pretty hardcore, man. Welcome.
2: <laughs> yeah um thanks. I'm so happy to be here i loved uh I've been following you guys for quite a while now too uh Rob, I'm glad you could get back from your bill Walton esque trip out into the <laughs> wilderness. It sounds like and um yeah, so uh, we mainly cover uh, we're super biased duck podcast, I would say don't take ourselves very seriously. Um, but, and just to prove how diehard we are, we did cover softball and it wasn't even when we were very, very good at softball. This is when basically the entire first team left with the coach and we were a rebuilding softball team, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of crazy about the ducks over there.
0: You started a hipster softball podcast, is what I'm hearing, Adam. That's that's pretty that's pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 no, I'm I'm really excited to talk about Oregon because this is a team that has a very high ceiling, but also has some possible anchors to reaching that ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. And let's let's just talk about where. Um, well, actually, before we do, where can people follow your podcast, and where can they follow you on Twitter? Because I know you guys tweet out a lot of stuff.
2: Oh yeah. So uh we're just at Quack Twelve Podcast. You can find us on uh any kind of podcast thing, basically. Um also I we do a lot of writing on Addicted to Quack. That's where you can find uh Hipple Day's work and some of my uh not so Hitl Day level writing on that same site. And uh yeah, just Quack Twelve Podcast. Right on. But anyways, uh, what were you saying there?
0: Yeah, so nine and four overall on the season, five and four in conference. Six and one at home. No question, you know, no surprise there. Just an awesome, awesome home stadium and home crowd. Two and three away, including a very questionable loss to Arizona and Tucson. Um, Oh, my gosh. uh, I I really want to get into that, but but not really. Uh, So... (laughs) You look at Oregon, and there was a changeover in, in the coaching staff. You know, Mario Cristobal has just killed it on the recruiting trail. How did Oregon fans mm-hmm. take the nine and four season this past year?
2: Well, overall, I would still say uh, cautiously optimistic, which kind of shows how ridiculous some of the. Uh, standards are even from you know how we how far we've fallen from that national champion kind of roster and team but um i would say cautiously optimistic because at times we looked very good uh mostly mostly against not the best competition uh namely our very 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 much cupcake non-conference schedule which again featured bowling green portland state and san jose state (laughs) um and Outside of the win against Washington, I would say that was the most feel good. Let's keep Cristobal here for thirty years. But then we then the Washington State game happened, the Arizona game happened, which I, I think I, I don't know. You asked us on when you were, I guess, on Quack Twelve. Um, to give you some answers about that game. And I'm just going to reverse that question to you because I have no idea really what happened in that game either. Uh, Besides, you guys kicked our butts. And uh, Utah was just a pretty damn good team by the time we played them. So there was a lot of looking real good, and then there was a lot of looking like we did in the Red Box Bowl against Michigan State. A good defense, but um, dang, that was an ugly game. So I think overall fans are – Optimistic because at the same time, at the same point, we did win a bowl game, we did get nine wins. Uh, the recruiting, like you said, is getting pretty crazy, including a top 10 class there. And uh, there's a lot of questions, but there's at least a lot of reasons to be optimistic.
0: Some of the Oregon losses, and Rob, you can definitely speak to this and want to transition to that into your beta rank uh model and on how Oregon graded out last year. I think it, if you watched Oregon you understood some of the frustrations that the hardcore Oregon fans had with the offense and the defense and some of the coaching. I mean, just sometimes that offense would just slog and we were our big Jim Levitt fans on this podcast. And really we have a lot of questions about him leaving and who's stepping Mm. in. Uh, But we had big expectations for the defense just after seeing what he was able to do at Colorado. So Rob, there were some really questionable losses from Oregon um, but also some solid wins. Like Adam said, how did beta rank? Uh, how did the the math take a look at this team? So the, the ducks graded out at number 56
1: in beta rank last season. Um, and they, they had sort of hovered around that all last season. They had a bit of a bump from beating Washington, um, but the offense graded out at number 64, uh, the defense graded out at 39 uh, special teams, which was, uh, which was, uh, we're actually good in that Washington game, but a bit of a sore spot. The rest of the season were graded out at 84, um, it was just a, a pretty up and down and somewhat inconsistent season for the Ducks. But they like they would beta rank in the games that they were. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit before, but there's been a bit of a myth going around among some other Pac-12 fan bases that Oregon, you know, only had their tough games at home last season. And they sort of lucked out there. But I mean, the model had, you know, Stanford, Washington, Utah and Washington States as, as favorites versus you know this Oregon team. So they had two of those at home and two on the road, and they went they went one and three in those games. Um, and they only had real one real unexpected loss, that being the the Arizona game, and that was quite an unexpected loss because Arizona wasn't <laughs> wasn't great um, uh, in that game, but the the or at least in the rest of the season they were great in that game. They looked Arizona that was the best game they played in a couple of years. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting it, because the Ducks have I mean and when we look at I mean the model, the projection model loves the Ducks coming into this season partly because of the recruiting uh which is definitely picked up and partly because of the returning production um you know and they're returning so much along the offensive line and you return Justin Herbert but uh yeah the the projection model has them at 17 coming into the season. So there's there's a lot of upside on the Ducks. Uh I guess what I caution people with is I think I still need to see it on the fields. Right. Like there's a lot of talent. You're bringing a lot of folks back, you know, like but we last season left you with question marks. And then the guy that we were most sure about, Jim Levitt, is is gone.
0: Yeah, Adam, when you looked at Oregon, play, I think the ASU game where Oregon played ASU was a good example where that offense just had no flow to it. And it just seemed like the Mm -hmm. coaching staff didn't know what to do with the players that they had on the field. They they try to run and then they get stuffed and then they like bomb it. And then they, it was just this herky jerky feel. When you take a look at Marcus Arroyo and the offense that he had, does, does like a sub kind of 60 offense last year match what you saw on the field? Well, I think a
2: big part, I mean, even though this offensive line still was very experienced last year, I think there really is a credit towards uh, Penney Sewell, just how dominant and important he is. Uh, Once he was injured, once he was out uh, against Washington, which also saw uh, one of the first serious kind of uh, injuries to Dallas Wormack, it seems like. Uh, Both of them were out, but mainly Penney Sewell not being on the line really affected the run game. That also uh Oregon's biggest uh problem. I, I forget whether it was a big problem in Arizona State per se, but clearly one of the biggest problems for this entire team is the drops with the wide receivers, which I believe tallied about fifty-two drops last season. Jeez. Um and a lot of that affected Justin Herbert's play. Uh, whether it was it made it just so he was a little I mean, somewhat rightfully so, uh, throwing it just to Dylan Mitchell because it seems like he was going to be the only one that was going to beat his man who was going to get open. And so I think a bit bigger than even scheme or, or, or philosophy or anything than that is literally just a few important injuries that happened on the offensive line there and just wide receivers who were not able to get open by themselves outside of Dylan Mitchell. Uh, Jalen Red did have some moments there, but um, I think the drops and then Justin Herbert's kind of confidence and vision really hindered the offense. Which And again, this is the first year of a, uh, a new offensive scheme for
0: them. Well, I think everybody knows Justin Herbert. And I don't know if a lot of people understand how much production is returning from that offensive line. Who are three names that aren't Justin Herbert on the offense that people listening to this podcast and people that watch the Pac-12 should know about?
2: All right. Well, the first one is someone I've already mentioned again. Penney Sewell (laughs) uh, is just so important to this already amazing offensive line. Again, uh, like you said, this is an offensive line that returns 153 combined starts. Uh, just with their starters there. Um they're returning all five starters and their reserves. Uh <laughs> Lemieux, Hanson, and Throckmorton specifically have just been like the the crux of this offensive line. But uh so Pene Sewell is is definitely my first offensive answer there. Um CJ Verdell is a bit of an underrated one right now. And I'm not saying I wouldn't put him on this list because I think he's going to be the best or uh, statistically or just physically running back in the pack 12, but he will be awfully important to what is supposed to be this uh, power rushing offense. Uh, it, it's kind of a cheat answer. Cause you would you kind of put him in tandem with CJ DeVell and uh, I mean, CJ Verdell and Travis Dye are kind of the uh, one, two punch there, but CJ Verdell, ha- he got over a thousand yards last year Hits the hole really hard. Uh, this is the kind of offense that really should kind of highlight his ability to at least, you know, get positive yards. That's what we really want on that first down. Not, not Maybe not even chasing after the breakaway plays like we did back in the day of Chip Kelly. But getting consistent yardage is a huge part of this offense. So C.J. Verdell I do think will be uh, an important part in this offense, even though we have a ton of running backs here. And the third one, I'm going to go with someone who's making a big name for himself right now in fall camp. Uh, Micah Pittman is, I mean, we need a receiver really bad that can catch the ball <laughs> would be very nice. <laughs> and, uh, he seems to, that is his mission coming in, He said, I do not want to drop a ball. He apparently has dropped one ball in spring and <laughs> fall practice, but it's just, the uh, people are really talking him up right now. And some of that I'm sure is just, uh, unreasonable, you know, uh, pre football hype, but it does sound like we have something there in Micah Pittman um yeah. So I'm gonna go with him for the third one. I I hope he has a big freshman year.
1: So the the Ducks last season, when we look at sort of like the components of, of of beta rank, they graded out they were okay at drive efficiency, grading out at thirty-nine. Um, but where they really struggled was on explosive drives. They struggled to put up big plays. Um so they graded out eighty four there last season and this, this team is, I mean, with the injuries, you know, especially to Sewell, you're right. Like they, they ran a lot behind him. I mean, the, the offense seems to be in that that pistol set up to be more of a run to set up the pass. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's going to be some power running going to set up some play action. Do do they have the, do they have the players? I mean, Dylan Mitchell's gone. It, the offense was, I mean, I think Dan Rubenstein said, what if you could make the whole offense out of Dylan Mitchell at one point last season, Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know he's gone. You have Juwan Johnson, who you maybe like as a graduate mm-hmm. transfer, but he got buried at, at Penn State after a big year, even, and wasn't likely to start this season, even with all their losses. Um, you know, is there is there somebody that can stretch the field and and, and catch the ball on there? I mean, is or because freshmen are. Uh, you know, like, uh, they're, 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 the recruiting's been fantastic, but, like, coming in and relying on true freshmen, uh, can, can, can be a win, win and, win and lose proposition in some ways.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, completely agree with you. And it's honestly a bad sign that I think in my top three here, the receiver that I choose is a freshman. <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> uh, goes to show you. Cause out of the players who have caught more than, um, one pass from Justin Herbert. Uh, that's a receiver. Um, there's three of them. Uh, Brendan Schooler, who I'm sure you guys know very well, uh, who's actually parents, injured right now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, Brendan Schooler was actually injured in fall camp. She will be out for about six to eight weeks, had surgery on his foot. Oh, man. Uh, so that – yeah, that really hurts us, honestly, because even though, yes, he did have some drops. Yes, he was definitely not someone that was having the breakaway speed or, or the moves. He was a very good blocker. He was amazing on special teams. So that's really going to hurt us. So as far as us having, who's going to actually have more of a reliable uh, kind of production? Um, I guess there's a pun there. So production. There you go. hey. hey uh, yo. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, one thing with Jawan Johnson, six four two thirty one looked good in the screen game, but like you said, buried on the Penn State roster. And what was his biggest problem there? Drops. Drops. Yeah. So it's hard to look for him to save us here. I think Brian Addison actually uh, <laughs> last year he had a red shirt. Um, we kept really wanting to see him. He played in four games uh, and caught one pass, a twelve yard against Portland State. I think he didn't play. I think it was because of some uh, disciplinary thing. I don't think it was too big of a deal. But he still had his red shirt. Um, it sounds like they're liking him, and they've actually uh, had him line up for the with the first team. I don't know if that's just because they're going, oh, my gosh, who, who we need somebody, please, please. But uh, it sounds like there's a lot of good hype around Brian Addison. So I'm optimistic about him. Jalen Red did have a, a good year last year. Um, he is 5'8, uh that is a little bit too much of Arizona wide receiver stats for us usually so
1: <laughs> you need some of those guys. Um, you don't need a, a whole team of those guys. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> no, he's a great player, but um honestly Micah Pittman, you know, uh if he's gonna see the field you would assume it's gonna be over him. And then oh my gosh, I think Johnny Johnson, I really hope I mean, no offense, Johnny Johnson. If you're a, if you're a twelve pack uh, listener here, but I hope I don't see him starting against Auburn, or or if I do, I hope it's because he's had just an amazing uh, time. But as far as receiving is concerned, that is a very good question. Who is going to be the uh, playmaker, my man? <laughs> I'm not sure if I have the answer. <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, some people that I cross my fingers and I say, I, I hope. Micah Pittman. I hope Jawan Johnson learns to to really use his size and catch that ball. Brian Addison really could be it. That's I, I suppose that's my answer. Hey, CJ Burdell can catch a pretty good ball too. So
1: <laughs> <How> about that. <laughs> and, and Addison, thank God, he he actually was he was pretty well publicized last year. I was surprised at the Redshirt. He was that late ad out of UCLA. Um, mm-hmm that came over in the recruiting class and people were like, he was almost sort of like, Oh yeah, we got that guy too. But then in in, in fall camp, like he actually turned some heads. I I was surprised he didn't make the field more, but that there was a disciplinary issue that now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then I think near the end, I believe they were, on the verge of actually burning his red shirt in the red box bowl, constantly being like, because as you know, it was basically a zero zero tie for most of it. And they're just like, Oh, is it worth it? Like, can we, I mean, we could actually win the game maybe if someone makes one catch.
1: So yeah. yeah that Mark D'Antonio uh, co- like coverage scheme that they run at Michigan state will make you tr- like think of trying lots of things like that is, that is a hard exactly. defense to beat. <laughs>
0: Well, taking this all into context, right? So you have Justin Herbert, and I think the the amount of rocks thrown at him by national media, Pac-12 people that were covering uh, the conference, I think was a little rough. He He's certainly, come, you know, coming into last season as, oh, he's the possible number one pick in the country. I mean, that just puts him on such a pedestal. Um, but if you take a step back and take a look at his stats, so... Um, 29 touchdowns, eight interceptions, he threw for 3,100 yards. The biggest thing that steps out is the 59% completion rate. And I understand that there were drops, but do you think Adam, those drops accounted for five to 10% uh, that you would hope that he would get to as one of the nation's uh, premier quarterbacks?
2: Um, I, I mean, not entirely. I, like I said earlier, I do think there is a mental aspect of it. To the point where um, it, I think it did just affect every part of this game, uh, but that being said, I do think there were straight up times where there were people open in the middle of the field that he was instead choosing to uh, try to beat some uh, tight cover, you know, one on one coverage for, which maybe with some new wide receivers that will help. But I I don't think that it is entirely uh, the receiver's fault. Absolutely not. I do think Justin Herbert, there were a few times where he would either try to just blast through mm-hmm. someone uh, trying to rely on his arm strength. He did that a lot. His, um, his sophomore year. Uh, but I, and, and then I think it's just, he wasn't really able to, to read the, the field as much as you would hope he would. Um, mm-hmm. So I I guess it's just, it's between the ears really.
0: Yeah, and that's fair. I think expecting a 70% completion rate is probably too you – know, I just mentioned high expectations for him, and then I throw that out there. But it would be nice to well, see that number come sense up. it
2: makes with the amount that people, t- people talk about him. I, I understand that, yeah, how oh. annoying it is to hear some stuff like that. And then when you
1: actually watch the game, you're like, oh, this is just number? You know, <laughs> Just don't watch the Arizona game because, like, in that game, Arizona <laughs> did not get great pressure on him, and it was almost as if he c- could not read zone. Like his – those inter- <laughs> those interceptions. Were two safeties that were just, just like he just couldn't have seen them. It was, a, it was unbelievable. Exactly.
2: And and if I remember correctly, it was like our defense was was at least given, you know, keeping us in the game for a while. It was just our offense was just. Dumped, and you guys had a great game, and our
1: offense just ooh boy, did not show up. <laughs> yeah, no. Arizona's efficiency, like drive efficiency, in that game was awful. I mean, Arizona had so many opportunities to put up touchdowns, um, and either came away with field goals or nothing. Uh, it was ugly, mm-hmm. especially that first half. Yeah. Well, like, um, but I guess yeah. the question uh, maybe is too to to help Justin Herbert out this season behind that experienced offensive line. You know, is it can Verdell and die really provide the sort of power running game that I think both Cristobal and Arroyo want to establish? Um, you know, is, is is that going to be more in evidence this year? Because they only graded it out at 72 and some of that's injuries on the O-line. I mean, are they, are they going to be able to get there rushing the football?
2: Well, I hope so. I can tell you that much. Um, yeah, they are definitely committed to this uh, basically 1A, 1B situation here. Um, that being said, Cyrus Abibi uh mainly was the short yardage guy right now he's a 6'1", 222 um and he has apparently made a huge impression and they say he's no longer going to be the guy that you know goes two yards for the touchdown so much well he will be <laughs> that guy but apparently they're expanding his role a little bit and um, but other than that, you would hope, that this offensive line, I I think this is another thing too, is that yes, there's a lot of um, veterans coming back and there's a lot of just talent overall uh, in, in the too deep, even for the offensive line. Uh, I, however, I do think that their power rushing game still isn't quite, at least last year was not really where this whole offense wants it to be. And, if it doesn't happen this year, it's, it's kind of hard to say when they're going to have a better offensive line, I suppose. And uh, I think this really is going to be the big year where we, or a year where we see if it's kind of a situation where you just let the talent go out and and play, or is it going to be something where it's a USC situation where, yeah, you have the talent, but you can't coach them up. And um, yeah, I, Uh, Sorry, I'm kind of wandering here, but I I guess um, I believe C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye will get some very good yardage should they stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, And we'll end near the top-ish of uh, Pac-12 play, I would hope. But but it does feel kind of weird to say that and not be more confident with this offensive line, but... Yeah, we'll see.
0: I don't know. <laughs> so you have, obviously, Justin Herbert. You have C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye behind him with some really solid uh, backups. By the way, Cyrus, like you mentioned, had seven touchdowns and 36 yards. <laughs> so, like, literally mm-hmm. every two yards, he's basically scored a touchdown. Um, but at you one also point, have...
2: he had, like, seven touchdowns and, like, ten yards when they didn't use him at all in the middle of the field. It was so great. Oh, great. He was averaging, like, a touchdown every, like, one point one yard or something it is awesome
0: anyway so <laughs> no but dipping down I mean you have uh, a player like Sean Doll- Dollars a great name by the way number two mm-hmm. all-purpose back in 2019 um, so the talent's there on that front you have a solid tight end and uh, Jacob Breeland you have Cam McCormick behind him you have we talked about the wide receivers and you have an experienced offensive line so what what would your expectation be like let's say advanced metrics like what's sure. acceptable for you for Oregon to, to place at the end of the year on the offensive side of the ball
2: I'd like it to be in the, in the top half of power five. You would like that at least. Right. (laughs) Um, so maybe that's way too low of expectations too. I'm going to say, yeah, right around, right around there. Let's say, uh, and it'd be nice to be in the (laughs) thirties. That's fair. I don't know. I have a, yeah, I have a I have a hard time I try to keep it level with my optimism with this team, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's flip over the defense, but let's do that right after this. All right, we're back. We just talked about the offense with Oregon's addicted to quack podcast, the best podcast in the world covering Oregon football, softball, and baseball, and basketball with Mr. <laughs> Adam Gimeo, uh from Addicted to Quack. <laughs> and Adam, um, you know, as many questions we have in the offense, I think we have just as many questions on the defense. And oh boy, and Rob, yeah. Rob, yeah, <laughs> how about you take it away here? I'm sure. I'm sure. You have Legion questions. You have many questions. Uh, what, how did, how did, uh, how did Oregon grade out? We
1: can, we can start with how they graded out. And then, I mean, we, ha- I think we have to cover just the sort of odd off season that they had at the decor. Yeah, It's
0: like we have to,
2: we're, we can cover last year, then we can throw that all out the window kind of. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Like- <laughs> um, so the, the, the defense graded out at number 39. I mean, they've been sort of climbing um, since Lovett was hired. Uh, they, they, they were good at containing explosive drives, uh, grading out at number 34. Um, they limited their yards for play number 31 on play efficiency. Um, they were reasonably good at forcing three and outs and turnovers at negative drives grading out at 46, but you could drive on them. I mean, like you could dink and dunk and pick up yards on this defense, their drive efficiency only graded it out at 65. Um, But I I think and they were, you know, 41 against the run, 51 against the pass. You know, there's the the secondary was a little younger, even though you like the talent there. But I guess the question I have, though, is, is that, you know, with Levitt, I mean, it, it seemed like a clash of personalities, you know, like Levitt really wanted that head coach job that went to Cristobal. Levitt has a lot of head coaching experience from his time at USF. But it left them in a bit of the lurch, right? I mean, it was as I recollect, it was far later than you would have expected. So they a lot of the hiring season was done, uh, as I recollect. They go out and get Andy Avalos, who was, I got to say, like he's not he was not even the maybe the best defensive coordinator or a top six defensive coordinator. I mean, I think I maybe had him about six in the Mountain West last season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like because I mean, like, there are just guys. I mean, uh, Jeff Castile at Nevada. Um, I'm forgetting the guy's name that was Wyoming. He just got hired on at Kansas state to be the new DC. I mean, a lot of these guys, like if they were going to make a move, were already gone. Um, so, I mean, er, Oregon sort of had to scramble a little bit. And uh, I can tell you from having, watch this, like just the, the answer being go hire Boise state's defensive coordinator is not always the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, but I, that said, like, I mean, there is some, there is some change up. I mean, I believe Oregon's moving to a four man front now. Um, Uh more often than they were under levitt but i mean how do oregon fans feel i mean levitt was a a highly paid big name you kind of know what you're getting you feel confident the defense is going to continue their upward trajectory at least i did i mean i what jim levitt did at colorado was was pretty fantastic um Uh and we'd seen that we'd seen some of the growth here i mean are oregon fans do they feel i mean there's there's stuff to feel good about there's a lot of talent on the defense but Uh, including the number one recruit who's likely to see the field. (laughs) But I mean, do Oregon fans feel confident about this transition? I mean, is it kind of like uh wait and see, you know? I mean, some people have told me Andy Avalos was exactly the guy we wanted. And I'm like, yeah, but it was not like, I mean, most of the guys that were the top names were already off the board that were going to get hired. Like, yeah. Know. You
0: know, Fresno is exactly where I wanted to live. I promise you. you right, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, even Fresno had a better defense than <laughs> Boise last season.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I will say, uh, well, uh, concerning Jim Levitt, I don't think, I think a lot of duck fans feel very grateful for taking us out of the, uh, Brady Hoke kind of hole that we were in. Um, that That was awful,
0: by the way, like he didn't have a headset on as he's like the defensive coordinator. Like what, what is this?
2: (laughs) Oh man, it was so rough. Yeah. Um, yep. And so Brady Hoke, we've got, we've uh, fans love Jim Lovett just because that, and there was obviously a huge jump even in his first year as defensive coordinator, just because it's like, well, you got to get better than what Oregon was at that point. Uh, there was kind of then kind of just, um, stabilizing, uh, not a whole lot more improvement. And then I think just a lot of the rumors kind of rubbed a lot of fans, the long, the wrong way of, uh, just, it kind of seemed Jim Levitt was clearly definitely off the recruiting trail. And obviously this, uh, coaching staff is built together probably more for recruiting than anything else. Um, and so that was kind of the first sign that, Oh, this is too much of a conflict between clearly Cristobal and Levitt. Uh, and I think, and so there's no ill will towards him. Uh, but I think fans were excited to have someone, who wanted to be here. And as far as Andy Avalos, uh, specifically, I think fans are again, cautiously optimistic. Um, it's very uh, one thing that makes it at least interesting to cover is that this defense, if you keep saying it over and over in fall and spring camp, and now it seems like it's not just all coach talk, or maybe it's uh, 10 degrees of coach talk. I don't know but he does want this to be a truly multiple defense. So it will be a four, three. Apparently they're saying their base is the nickel, but they'll be playing in a three, three, five. They've been doing a lot of that in <laughs> defense, right. it, playing the three, four as well. Um, so, and it's, they are at least really, really stressing right now. And maybe this is just so Auburn won't know what the hell they're talking about but that they want this defense to be many different things. And quite frankly, I don't know what that means for the first year of it being installed. It's not drastically different from Jim Levitt, but certainly a lot more for a lot of new players to uh, kind of grasp at the same time. So I think people, people like that. He's young. People like that. He's got a lot of uh, aggressive, fun ideas and people like that. He's not Brady
1: Hoke, Is What I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I I think that's fair. I mean, and, and Avalos is going to have the most talent he's certainly ever had on the field altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Oh, and I, I should
2: say, uh, yeah, we're just trying to do the thing, I suppose, where, which hasn't really worked out for us too much either, where when a team just keeps beating us, we try to just hire their coaches away so far it hasn't really helped the stopping the beating part like against washington state or boise but
1: uh we'll see what happens yeah yeah that's that's but i i think that i mean any almost it always interests me when people are arguing and they're like no no oh it's a three four or four three and i'm like unless you're playing army your base defense is nickel these days because almost everyone's an 11 (laughs) personnel at least you know 60 percent of the time right like yeah, I, 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 think, but I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I, I you, you kind of don't know how Avalos is going to do, um, with all the talent he made, he's going to have at his disposal, even at, I mean, Boise has a, a, a bigger recruiting budget and, and a bigger name in the mountain than, you know, most of their peers in the mountain West, but, um, he should definitely be able to, to step in and we should see what he has. Uh, but there's, there's a lot coming back and a lot to like, um, there. And, and if he can, if he can sort of, you know, help, uh, you know, help help contain. You know, get get them off the field, which is something they struggled with last season. Um, you know, find the big plays, the disruptive plays that can help them get off the field. I think that could make a big difference.
2: Yeah, taking- yeah, I, I would hope that because the the year um, Jim Levitt's really a uh, good year here. I would say was when Jalen Jokes was just a horror down there just attacking uh, the quarterback. And so I think maybe some of these schemes uh, along with this new talent um, will be able to go after the quarterback a little more effectively than last year is what the hope is, I believe.
0: Yeah. I was curious because Jelks leaves and we were really excited about him coming into 2018 and he was still productive. Um, I'm assuming he got drafted. I, I actually don't follow the NFL that that much, but I would assume a player of his uh, caliber. Either
2: do I. I know he did get drafted. Good for from, him. Make a lot of money, young man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go.
0: <laughs> but, I, I mean, I remember his numbers just popping off of the chart. And I know sometimes, like, you can get caught stat reading, but he really was one of the players that just, you know, when you were putting together your list of Pac-12 players that you were going to give to a national beat writer covering college football to keep a lookout for. He was on there and he leaves. I have a couple of questions about him. Like why I think his productivity dropped off a little bit. Do you know why that was? And, and even so he was still a player to keep a lookout for who's going to fill that role coming into 2019.
2: Um, As far as why I think Jalen Joke's numbers felt a little bit is uh, I I suppose it's partially just people knew that it is, you know, the Jalen Jelks, as before he was really coming out of nowhere, uh, as in he was playing. I think he was just an undersized lineman in the four in Brady Hoax four three and was just kind of getting pushed over. Uh, he really took people by surprise his first year. Um, other than that, I-, I really don't know, actually, why he was. Just so much less effective. That'd be a good question for Hipple Day. He, he has nothing but time on his hands. I'm sure he's watched endless clips of Jalen Jelks. <laughs> but um, as far as who will fulfill Jalen, Jel- uh, Jalen Jelks-esque role, the hope is that this stud position, uh, which seems to belong entirely to um, uh, Bryson Young, uh, Bryson young who is a, a senior and who has recorded to this day i believe something about uh it's like three tackles 17 yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like <laughs> nothing not i think it was his first year when we were a 4-3 he was actually doing really well in brady Hoke's system uh much better anyways i think he had like 12 tackles there <laughs> but then once we were uh no longer played in a four three, just the next season we cleared house. Um, He couldn't really find any time when he's competing against smaller outside linebackers slash uh, defensive ends. But actually Andy Avalos loves his size uh, for this role, apparently he's really done a lot better and actually kind of, cause you're kind of that defensive end outside linebacker split position. So you do need to do some light coverage when it calls for it. And apparently Bryson, he's just owned this role has really improved. People are saying that possibly this could be a position where Kayvon Thibodeau can really can comp- uh, perform, but as of right now, it does seem like, it, like it is Bryson Young's role. Also, supposedly there'll be times just kind of like in the, in the Levitt offense where both outside linebackers will drop down. So it'll kind of be a five man front. Um, so that'll be uh, uh, Lamar, uh, Lamar Winston and um, who and possibly DJ Johnson will get some role there. So hopefully there's multiple people attacking here. Bryson Young, I, um, he's someone that I really think will make a name for himself seemingly out of nowhere. He, he's getting a lot
1: of hype right now. Well, that, yeah, he would definitely be, out <laughs> um, I, I was looking at, uh, even some post spring depth charts and he was still like a lot of people still had him way down there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, on there. Uh, but yeah, so is the name that I, I, I think a lot of, I mean, I, I'm sure Oregon fans, I, I do a, uh. Uh, a Pac 12 weekly football links. And I always have to like cycle through all the Oregon recruiting content to find um, content on the current team because Oregon's recruiting so well that uh, it, it, that on its own generates a ton of content. Um, mm-hmm. But Debido's, uh, I mean, he was the number one ranked recruit by ESPN, um, recruiting service coming into this season. I mean, just a, a really big get for the ducks and somebody that, I mean, people are talking about and it's unusual. I mean, like you, you, you often see guys, you can plug in some wide receivers. You don't usually see the big guys get plugged in. They usually need some time in a college weight room. Um, but mm-hmm. people are talking about him maybe making an impact this season on the defensive line, um, I think that I mean do you think that that can help this team sort of generate they needed to generate a little more pass rush last season I think to help them get off the field um do you think you know Thibodeau could be in in a rotation um could make that kind of a difference?
2: I really hope so um it seems like he's still just from the amount that his name's kind of popping up in practice, I kind of feel like. He's not 100% ready to say play a significant role against Auburn. Yeah, but I would definitely put money on you know at least midway through Pac-12 play uh, that he is well into the two deep. Maybe in like a couple positions, they're they're trying to cross train him there, uh, both outside linebacker and a defensive end, and. I bet you he will get some time in that stud role because I I at least would like to see him. Another big name that people are talking about is Mace Funa, um, who's from Matterday High School. Missed his uh, senior year, but uh, 6'2", 260, he'd be pretty fun to see in that role as well. But um, yeah, I I bet you Kayvon Thibodeau, just because... His speed and uh, combined with his size, it, it seems like it'd be foolish not to have him running after the quarterback at some point.
0: You have the best nickname in the Pac-12 and Fat Mac, who? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, who's really he's the my anchor...
2: favorite? He's my favorite.
0: Oh, and he's the anchor of your line, right? Like Jordan Scott, 6'1", 322 oh, pounds. Yeah. What uh, what does he bring to this line, and why is he um, just beloved by the entire Oregon fan base?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, um, yeah, probably my favorite player on the team, quite <laughs> frankly, Jordan, Fatmax Scott, uh, came over from Largo, Florida with Willie Taggart was what was a huge Florida get. I mean, literally had to slim down significantly to get to this three twenty two. That's true. crazy. But has played, <laughs> has played, uh, a lot of time, uh, even when he was a freshman and, just became crucial to the, to it. I think one of the reasons why duck fans love him so much is because D line outside of a few very big name, like a DeForest Buckner or someone like that is not usually. uh, Hasn't been an Oregon staple for quite a while. And so to get someone who is just like so physical, so athletic for his size like that, And it does place like against Washington. There was a point where I think going into that game, it was something like Washington was a perfect, like 100% on their, uh, fourth and one attempts on offense and Oregon was perfect at stopping four and one attempts. And, uh, uh there was a point where it actually came down to it and you know of course they're going for the qb sneak that jake browning has done a million times and jordan scott you can just there's so many videos of this just pushing the middle of that line just (laughs) to just counting the snap perfectly and just this one man wrecking ball uh and also he's really fun on social media honestly there's a a really fun video of him doing a backflip into a pool. You should check that one out. It's very fun. Um, And not only that, but he's incredibly important. Probably. mm, Yeah. Probably the most important, maybe Troy die is, but uh, important for this team, because as far as his backups are concerned, there's either kind of uh, some experience that's kind of been injured quite a bit, like Gary Baker or there's lack of experience and you're just hoping that there's not too much of a drop-off because jordan scott you know he's not superman he does need some time to breathe you know <laughs> uh yeah. yeah i could go on for another hour about jordan scott he's just fantastic
0: well one of the things that we didn't um, touch on, and, and I know we did this for Washington's podcast, so I want to make sure to do it with Oregon too. The recruiting class that you guys have brought in, in th- this year, in the past year, and then in this coming year is so, so, so nasty. I mean, we're talking top 15 <laughs> players all across the board. That includes the defensive line, and as we go into the linebackers, it includes the linebacking core as well. We talked about some of the wide receivers, and obviously, like some of the best athletes in the country are going to be in the mix in regards to who's catching passes and who's running the ball. So I don't want to overstep that because we're talking about a couple maybe question marks on the defensive line. But as Rob talks uh, about in terms of advanced analytics, the defensive side of the ball, um, recruiting matters more, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So returning production is a big predictor on offense. Um, you know, like knowing the offensive system, it turns out, helps. Like you have the you have the initiative on offense. You get to call runner pass. Defense, it's a little bit more about reaction. So, yeah, it's recruiting that really, really is more correlated with your uh, your end beta rank there.
0: All right. Well, let's Hmm. get let's get into the rest of the defense and talk a little bit of special teams right after this. All right. We're back. It's the home stretch. We're going through Oregon's football program, one of the most fascinating teams in the Pac-12. And Rob, I know you have lots of questions, whether it's the linebacking core, the secondary. What do you got?
1: So let's start with the linebackers. You bring back Troy Dye. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, but, um, you know, the, it is it is an area where you are losing. Wait, wait, uh, hold on one second. Know.
0: One second. Troy Die had 115 tackles last year, eight tackles for a loss, seven pass breakups, four quarterback hurries and in interception. Just want to make sure that those are those numbers are out no, there. No, he I mean, like, is. yeah, I mean, like he's been like, yeah. he
1: all over the place. Pretty um, great. He's pretty great. Like he's pretty in, great. In, 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 if Winston, you know, is is going to be stay at linebacker and not move over to that stud spot, you've got a little more experience there. He had thirty seven, you know, solo and assisted assisted tackles last season. But you are bringing in some players that, you know, didn't weren't on the field as much last season. So outside of Troy die, you know, how do you guys feel about the linebackers coming in?
2: Um. Well, in many spots, pretty good, and. uh, it, I would say pretty good overall. Troy Dye, like you said, fantastic, uh a crux of the defense. Got here in some pretty rough times. I think he started as a safety. And then it was a situation, I think, in the Don Tellem years. I kind of forget. Hey, he wiped but, those out um, of your memory. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
2: But I, I, when they realized that he was the only person on the defense that could tackle, they pretty quickly made him a linebacker. Uh, he's actually only 121 tackles away from becoming the all-time career leader for Oregon, too. So there's another thing to watch. Nice. But uh, So outside of Troy Die. I would say, actually, Isaac Slade Matoatia, He is someone who his freshman year he saw action in seven games, uh, missed the last six games due to an injury, and but was really had a really really strong freshman campaign. Uh, he's basically being molded as the replacement for Troy Dye, which obviously it's so nice that Troy Dye decided to pull a Justin Herbert and stay for his senior year because uh, just another year of him, uh, of someone to learn under basically. And as far as the other inside linebacker spots are concerned, I'm hearing a lot of talk that people like um, uh, Jamon Eford and Drew Mathis, I mean, they're doing a lot of special teams work. But, uh, Oh, Samson knew he's, he, they're saying he's the third person in the rotation. He's a little undersized, six, one, two Oh six. Um, so he's, he's, yeah, <laughs> he's kind of a Kalana Pelu. He's fast though. He's a deal. fast two Oh
0: six. I'm sure he better yeah, be fast he's,
2: he's very fast. I'm sure. Otherwise, why would he be on the team? Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it gets a little, little thin there literally. And, uh, but Lamar Winston, um, you know he's he's no Justin Hollins, but he was definitely very uh, very productive last year as well. He's he's apparently taken on a huge role just as kind of the um, a leader on this defense in general. Uh, Bryson Young, as I said, he is going to be that stud. So he, he there's a lot of faith in him going on. D J Johnson at least has the size. And then some, uh, maybe a little too much size here, yeah, two. Seventy-two. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the he was, yeah, the he was the
0: top ten defensive end in twenty seventeen. He was the Miami transfer, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. And he he uh, sat out because of transfer rules last year. But there is at least talk of him uh, uh, stepping up, contributing to the linebackers. And there really is just a lot of a lot of people that. There's been a lot, there's been talk about how well they've done over the years, whether they didn't play because there's already, uh, because they were just freshmen or something, but uh, like Adrian Jackson, Andrew Johnson, both of them have been at least like playing around the stud position, but uh, the rotation is there. At least it's certainly better than previous years, uh, of, of Oregon football. Um, but it is a bit unproven behind the staples of Lamar uh Lamar Winston uh Troy Die and mm, yeah th- I mean those are the 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 leaders I would say. Uh, you, I've explained Mateo Tia also it's, uh, people have been really hyping him.
0: It seems like if there's going to be a drop off the front 7 is likely where it happens although I didn't get the impression that Oregon's front seven was as strong as we had anticipated going to 2018. But I mean, just the fact that you're losing Justin Hollins, like that guy was so, yeah. uh, was, was a tear. And then also, you, you know, you go back and you're losing a key player like Jalen Jelks. Do you think there's a scenario, um, uh, particularly with the recruiting? I mean, you have some, again, some top 15 players that are coming into the system that are going to be backing up some of your starters that like, I was really, really excited about, uh, um, uh, about I- Isaac Slade. How do you say it? Ma- Matatua?
2: Uh Mantua, that's Yeah. That's Ma- how I say it. <laughs> we'll we'll see how how accurate that is once it starts. But I believe it's Isaac Slade Montatilla.
0: Yeah, and like Samson New was a player that came in with a lot of heralds. So those are players that we had our eyes on last year. Do you think they have the ability to rise up and be as productive as, as twenty eighteen or even in like in twenty seventeen?
2: Um well I do believe Isaac Slade Montreatilla is going to have a very strong season this year. And I think he's really going to solidify his starting role. Um, Samson, you know, I'm, a, I'm a little less sure about, it. we really didn't see much of him. He really, he's got his playing time because of injury. I, I believe mainly to Slade Montez. Uh As far as the, the defensive line is concerned. I do think something that is a little under talk about for Oregon is they do have a pretty damn good overall defensive line. Now, obviously it's kind of changing now, or I should say experience, because we we gotta see how it all plays out, so I say they're damn good. But between Jordan Scott, Austin Falu, Drayton Carlberg, and uh Gus Cumberlander, those four in general, I think are all gonna have some pretty strong seasons. Obviously, they're probably not gonna see the field all at the same time, but um, spe- uh, specifically Gus Cumberlander, I think he's going he to, yeah, he had 4.5 sacks last season. And I think he's just, he's, I, I keep my eye out for him. I guess I'll say that much. Uh, I really like him to have a pretty good year this year. And if there is an injury outside of nose tackle for the D line, Um, I, I have faith in Joe Salavea that he will be able to,
1: to plug in some pretty good players there. You should always have faith in Joe Salavea, Arizona alum.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh man. I was a bit, what would you guys have thought if, uh, he was your head coach? Is that just too
1: bit of of a downgrade? No, no, that got kicked around. Um, when, yeah, yeah. When, when Rodriguez was fired, uh, we did it, people did kick that around because I think that um, he, he's he is sort of a guy that he's one of those guys that may skip being a play caller. Um, and I know a lot of people sort of. I mean, he, and I think he himself sort of wants to be a play caller so that he could eventually get to be a head coach because it's sort of on most people's checkbox, you know, to, to be a head coach. They want you to be a coordinator first, but. He's a guy that I think because of his recruiting and I think he's been around long enough and his his responsibilities around programs have generally increased. Um, I think you could see him sort of do that. A lot of people at Arizona thought, well, let's give him a shot. Um, You know, he's definitely shown he can recruit, you know, like if he can if he can Mm -hmm. land a solid, you know, OC and DC, um, you know. But I, I think some of it, too, was that people really at Arizona felt like. Maybe the program didn't have the money to go out hmm. and get some. You know, I mean, like they thought Saliva may have been able, maybe somebody that they could get cheap. I mean, because they, they they did end up having to pay Rich Rods, you know, full buyout, um, That's right. That's which was fairly substantial. So it was not. I mean, what like I mean, there's always. Arizona is the kind of program that, as soon as the coaching opening comes up, they're like, "Who can we hire that's an alum?" Um, is a <laughs> discussion that comes around at the fan base. That'd be
2: fun. Maybe, maybe you
1: would get you a bunch of Scooby rights to run out there. Though that sounds like a fun team.
0: <laughs> I'm it, a little. It
1: does. However, I don't want a team of like two stars. Like, I'm sorry, I believe recru- <laughs> <laughs> Two He's... stars is a lot of heart. <laughs> yeah he was good i mean he was he was a d he was the d line coach under mike Stoops and i thought he was pretty good and he was he he did some good stuff up at washington state um mm-hmm. i mean i i i i firmly believe that he's a guy that if oregon keeps up where they're at and uh, you know land you know has a good season this season and where the, the way they're recruiting like he's a guy i could see a group of five school giving a shot to be a head coach or maybe even a Uh, an FCS school, giving a shot to be a head coach without being a coordinator. And then he works up from there.
2: Oh yeah. And I think honestly, the, the recruit, the biggest recruiting job of Mario Cristobal's career is keeping somewhat of this uh, of his coaching staff. I think he keeps kind of just, being like, oh, now you're a head coach, you're a co-head coach. Now you're an associate co-head coach. You know, like there's only so many times that you can add a title <laughs> to somebody. And um, I don't, it, it's a pretty great, especially recruiting staff, but, you know, it, most of the highlights were put together by Willie Taggart. So it's, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens here. It's, especially, too, because in Oregon's history, I mean – Basically, there is a stretch where for like 39 years you had four coaches, and then there is very shortly after that there's a stretch where in three years you had three head coaches. So it's just been kind of a shock, and uh, duck fans are a little spoiled and paranoid
1: and uh, annoying overall about it. I would say. What's of all really learn I mean, in Taggart you know, have put most of the staff together, but Cristobal learned under Saban. I mean, Saban's commit, everybody, don't get me wrong. Saban's very good at X's and O's. His pattern matching zone that he helped develop is terrific. Um, But Saban's commitment to the university of Alabama when he was hired, is like, nobody's going to out-recruit us. And he's mostly yeah. lived up to that. And, and Cristobal, you know, like I, I, I think has smartly also said, yeah, we're going to do that too. <laughs> but uh-huh. Like the, the position coaches they have, I mean, Oregon's really only, the only questions you have about the staff are, are the OC and the DC at the level to get it done? Because uh-huh. I mean, you guys have Dante Williams out there cleaning up. Um, I mean, there, oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a guy that, uh, you know, Oregon's going to sort of have to continually come up with, with money to to pay because I mean, as Arizona uh-huh. found, you know, like he's just, he's such a good recruiter. you, you know, like people are going to come knocking all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh,
2: it's a good thing you learned about the, the Nick Saban, Coaching turnover school basically
0: is <laughs> sort of well, it's, only it,
1: Nick Saban could pull that off. That's so hard.
0: Well, that's why Oregon's yeah. recruiting has been so impressive, though. Like, I mean, a lot of the players that you pulled in had offers from Alabama and Georgia and Florida State and Texas and Ohio State. It was just really uh, impressive yeah. seeing a lot of players commit to Oregon and play on the West Coast. And if you can get, like Rob said, if you can, the coordinators can get the talent up to speed, I mean, Oregon's going to be nasty for a very long period of time. And Rob, you had mentioned Dante Williams, you know, who has predominantly uh, recruited, my understanding was the secondary. So you have uh, a player like Diamador Lenore, um, who's matched up with Thomas Graham. Those are two safe, uh, two corners that you have that have experience. They're, after that, a little bit thin, a little bit thin. I know at nickel, you know, Hockey Woods and uh, Verone McKinley could be solid. And then uh, you, know, you have some players that have had some uh, decent, decent experience coming back at the safety position, how confident are you, Adam, in your secondary this year? Because, uh, and Rob, where did they, where did Oregon grade out last year in pass defense?
1: So they were number 51 against the pass. I mean, so there's definitely some room for improvement. I mean, they were better against the run grading out at 41. Um, and I mean, not of course, having to face all those extremely tall Stanford wide receivers who have all moved on to the NFL will help. Uh, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cause these Oregon yeah. guys were not in the same height class as those Stanford guys, but oh, it wasn't my gosh. just, I mean, like Gardner Minshew in that first half, Gardner Minshew in Washington state just really picked, uh, the secondary apart. Um, mm-hmm. and there's, a, there's a lot of talent. I mean, all these guys were highly, highly regarded recruits, uh, there, but they, they really do need to, to clean up quite a bit there. I think.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of uh, up and down. And then outside of – so I'd say C.J. Verdell had the craziest – the running back had the craziest probably season last year just because he had that emotional uh, fumble for Stanford, which kind of blew the game. But then, uh, you know, weeks later he had the big touchdown to beat the Huskies. So I'd say he had the most emotional one. But Thomas Graham Jr. also had a pretty just – Uh, rough year last year as in being burned by even some of the non-conference opponents really just having some bad plays but throughout actually getting better and better and near the I'd say the second half of the season just locking down and becoming a pretty honestly a pretty damn good cornerback and Lenore and Graham Jr. both got the playing time for a cornerback like they do they don't want them off the field when the defense is on the field um that's not new for graham who's been a starter since his freshman year uh lenore took one year of um took uh, his sophomore years when he became a starter but they've been there's a lot of communication between them they are solid i look really forward to uh both of them on the field, I think they're gonna have great seasons, specifically Thomas Graham Jr. Um, yeah, I just think he's really gonna improve. We'll see how if he can even be one of the one of the greats at the position for Oregon. Outside of that though, like you hinted at, gets a little scarier. Um most likely I would say McKill Wright is going to be the one that spells either of these players. Uh he's the highest rated cornerback in program history. So there you go. Uh, he had a pretty a uh, really good spring game and also who else you're gonna really put out there? <laughs> and uh so I think Mikhail Wright is gonna be someone there. Hacky Woods is having a really good season as well. I think it's his sixth year of eligibility. I think he had to petition for it.
0: Yeah, never uh, graduate. Yeah. I mean
2: it's yeah, he's still here. That's cool. Way to go. Um, and apparently he's actually just exploded. He didn't really see the field all that much last year outside of like punt coverage and kickoff and such. I remember he, he had not the best play against Cal, but overall he seems like a really mature player and he's, well, maybe it's just cause he's been there for six years, but, um, he's apparently slotted people really like him as the nickelback, uh, a lot of people were originally saying, oh, it'll definitely be Verone McKinley. It'll definitely be Verone McKinley. But the coach is really like hacky Woods in this position. Um, and so maybe Verone McKinley will just kind of be backup, nickelback, backup, cornerback, uh, backup, everything. I'm not sure. David Davis, he was a recruiter, but actually switched over to the defensive side of the ball and is currently injured. So we'll see how how that, uh, treats them. And as far as safety is concerned, um, yeah, you also said that there are some, uh, it's an interesting combination of some young talent, which is Javon Holland, who was very, very, very good his freshman year. Five interceptions Uh, as a freshman.
0: (laughs) That's pretty impressive.
2: Oh yeah. Five interceptions. And if you go back, some of those interceptions are like, Oh hell yeah. I'm just in the right place <laughs> yeah, at the I right know, time. But right. some of them were also like, oh boy, this kid is talented. Um, yeah, people are high on him. And I, I, I there's a good good reason. So um, it's hard when you're replacing Ugo Amadi, who yeah. just did everything for us last year. Uh, but I, I still think we're going to like seeing him on the field. Um, and then outside of that, for the other safety position, Nick Pickett. And Brady Breeze, as always, are battling now. I, I feel like it's just like this every year. These two are just back and forth going at it. Uh, Nick Pickett is usually the one who wins these kind of battles against Brady Breeze, but supposedly Brady Breeze Brady Breeze has been running with the ones in fall and spring camp. Uh, either way, it's good that there's two people competing for this position you know, maybe it's the case where it's like, Oh, we've got two mediocre options. I wish one of them was better. Um, but I, I'd like to think, you know, they're both juniors. Um, I'd like to think that they're just, they've ripened and they're ready for the uh, starting position here. Um, other than that, it does get a little perilously thin, uh, because again, we've got redshirt freshman uh, Steve Stevens, TriQuest Bridges. Uh, apparently, he's been looking somewhat good, but they, again, these are people who have not played a, a real snap of college football, so uh, it, it's hard to say. So, I like the I like the people who are the starters for the DBs, but outside of that, it does kind of roll in the dice a bit more.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that, but it is good to have that base of experience. Um, you have obviously the, with the corners and then you have safeties that have played for a decent amount of time. And then underneath that, you know, basically every player that you mentioned, Adam, it was a top 25 commit <laughs> coming out of high school. So yeah. there is the athleticism there. It's just whether or not they can put it together should an injury happen, knock on wood, that it doesn't. Because um, I, I think you should be in, in a pretty solid position. in the secondary, you know, Rob, let's go straight to the wins here. What does Beta Rank project uh Oregon in regards to their win totals? And is there a preseason projection on their offense and defense? Or do you just have a team uh, projection in general?
1: Uh, I have it all. uh, All of those things you mentioned. So we have it at 17 for the team. Uh, We have for the let me go ahead and check. On the defense, they project at 18. Um, Whoops, wrong one. Sorry. Hold on a second. On the defense, they project at uh 18 the offense projects at 19 coming into the season. Um, the nice. the projected win total for them is 8.77. Um, which is to say they project to be good but not good enough where they're going to win every game they're expected to win in the Pac-12. And they also have that tilt against Auburn, where the the preseason model likes Auburn a bit. Um, And they're projected to have 6.51 wins uh, in the conference. And they actually, they come out a little bit ahead of Washington in the preseason model. Oh, yeah, Oregon fans will like that. Uh, Hey, good season, man. Yeah, I mean there's a there's the toss-up game against the Huskies basically. Um but there's I mean, that Washington team of course has some questions on you know how much they lose on defense and is their offensive coordinator the guy but um, yeah, so we we've been asking everyone to do the over or the under on the beta beta rank season win total, which is eight point seven seven. So, how do you feel about the Ducks versus that number?
0: And everybody's taking the over, Adam. I'm just saying, Every, I mean, you know, everyone it's has, the has taken everybody. the over. So, like all of <laughs> your problems are not
1: problems, <laughs> and everybody else on the everybody else is going to be terrible that you play. So, take that into account. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that so funny? getting all these twelve
2: uh, pack or, sorry, Pac-12 reviews is just how easy it can be uh, pick, talking about any team being like, oh, yeah, you're going to do amazing just because of this, or, uh, I don't know. It, it's so funny just trash-talking.
0: It's different, though, because a lot of teams are saying like, oh, yeah, this commit that we have is going to be awesome. Like, you know, not a lot of pe- under the radar, and they're, they're pointing to one or two different players that are like high-ish level three-star commits, whereas Oregon... <laughs> Like everybody you have on your on your depth chart, uh, is basically a player that had a lot of pedigree coming out and you have a lot of starters. So yeah. I think you have a better base of foundation to say the over if you so choose. And you missed <laughs> the
1: eats. You don't play Utah this year and, and they're gonna be good.
2: Yeah, that's the best. Maybe that's the best part. And we do play Oregon State, yeah. And uh yeah, and maybe we're just in that USC situation now where it's like well if you don't do awesome then your coaches suck uh but um okay let's see i'm just gonna quickly go down through this schedule then we got auburn do i think uh let's do do i think they're gonna be auburn Sh- i'll say no good things usually don't happen to me in my life so i i don't think i think that d line and, and going down to texas on this supposed you know uh neutral site game. Uh, I think we'll lose to Auburn. We'll beat Nevada. We'll beat Montana. I think we'll beat Stanford because I think Stanford's in for a rough season. I'll yeah. say it. Yeah. One of my hot takes this season, by the way, Rob, tell me what you think about this. They get one pac 12 win against Stanford.
1: You know, I'll you know I I'll take the like the Beavers last season. I said, listen, they project their expected conference wins was over one, so they're going to beat somebody. I don't know who, but they're going <laughs> to exactly, beat somebody. Right. And I will. I think and, it'll
2: I'll, be Stanford.
1: They yeah, have I mean, I home? think home.
2: get a buy or
0: something. I think it's like they get them. Hold on, I'm going to flip it over here. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm so um, in on betting on that. If that's the at least on the spread.
2: Oh, guys, it's fun. Okay, so Oregon State gets a bye week. Before Stanford, and then meanwhile, Stanford. This is what they're coming off. So first game Northwestern, next game USC, next game UCF. Uh, USC and UCF are both away. Then against Oregon, then against Oregon State, and the week after that it's Washington. So <laughs> That's it's such totally a legendary like game. You're- Exactly, exactly. I'm putting that's my hot. That's my biggest hot take of the season in the stand for a while. Anyway, so we've beaten. I'll say we've beaten Nevada. We've beaten Montana. We've beaten Stanford. California is scary as hell. I'm gonna say we beat them because it's at home, but they're gonna upset. Some some fans. Even if they, even if that team beats California, that team's fans are going to be upset because of the game they just watched.
1: I think because California's got scary defense.
2: Yeah, um And
1: nothing else. We're on board Um, with that. If their offense, if their offense can just be a bad power five offense, Cal is going to be a scary team. If I
0: had a third third arm, Rob, I'd be able to carry a lot more things. Like, just. Listen, I just don't trust that. We offense. were,
1: we were both high on Bobald when It's gonna, get, I don't know. I mean, like, it just, it's hard to be that bad. Devon Monster.
2: Oh wait, wait, yeah, yeah, Devon yeah Monster, you're there, right? Yes. Yeah, You yes, gonna do it. I'm going do it. I'm a
1: monster. <laughs> um.
2: Okay, so that's four wins for me. Colorado, I think we'll beat them. So that's five. Um. Washington, I. I'll. My pessimistic side says we do not beat Washington. It's in Seattle. That is, that's tough. Um, right. We're totally going to beat them now. But let's, I'm, for this segment, we say we're not going to beat them. Washington State at
0: Oregon.
2: Damn, oh. is this the year we finally break this four or five game streak that got against us?
0: The Pirates sneaky on the road. Like he,
2: he, uh, I know. it's
0: really frustrating playing I, that team. I'm
2: going to say Andy
0: Avalos finally gets us over the hump.
2: I'm going to say we get that one. That's six wins at USC. I think USC is going to surprise so many people. And I think Clay Helton, uh, even though the fans are going to hate it, I think Clay Helton's going to keep his job. I honestly do. And I think they're going to get eight or nine wins, which will be enough for them to keep their job. Um, Not against the Ducks, though. I think we're going to beat them. I think we're gonna beat Arizona. Sorry guys. Yeah, no. I oh, don't know, you guys always pay Arizona for State, that. Oregon State. So I oh man, I am a homer. I think I just counted us having ten wins. Uh we lose to Auburn and we lose to Washington. And I that probably means that we win the Pac twelve north. And then I'll say we lose the mighty Utah Utes. That's where I think we're at. Ten and two. Okay. In- <laughs>
0: You know, even if a team Sorry, knocks happened? you off, that gets you to nine, and that's still the over, which which is yeah. quite possible. Yeah, yeah, that's still over,
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is mm, – I could see things going really wrong, but there certainly is a lot of talent. And mainly what I keep thinking is if Cristobal really does want this to be a power rushing team, how many – pack 12 d lines are ready for the challenge especially <laughs> like midway through the season how many pack 12 d lines are ready to go against uh you know this offensive line that's kind of what i'm banking on and i think that's what chris is thinking on honestly
1: that's true there's only i mean even stanford's not stanford anymore
2: No, we're we're becoming Stanford, and Stanford's becoming I don't know an air raid or something like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're going to get that two tight end set again, though, and I'm just gonna I'm I'm basically going to throw a party every time I watch those games. Uh, (laughs) Everything else will suck, but they'll throw the tight ends again.
2: That's right. (laughs) You're the you're the big. uh, Oh, I think I just got you confused with uh, Alicia Artola. She loves the tight end play. I remember. Oh no, no, we have our own club. You too? Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're all tight end fans Every
1: here. Every podcast, we have to have a conversation about tight ends.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, yes, like the great Jake Butt and, and the rest. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I have his fat head right on my wall. It's great. Um, <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> no, <laughs> <That's> no. <great. laughs> um, well, hey, at, thank you for coming on. Um, we certainly appreciate it, and we'll continue to to keep an eye on. One of the things I want to definitely look at is the Oregon Auburn game. This is a whole other topic that wouldn't even touch here, but one of the biggest preseason games in the country, but uh, perhaps for another day as we uh, move again, we're going to be recording weekly. And I know you guys record weekly in regards of covering Oregon football. We'll continue to break down every team. We'll talk the spreads and, and everything every week. So 12 pack radio, uh, quack 12 podcast. Um, and one more time, Adam, where can people find your beautiful work? Oh, beautiful. Oh, wow.
2: Um, at quack 12 podcast on Twitter. Uh, if you type in quack 12 podcast into your computer, will probably show up somehow. Um, addicted to quack. If you actually want to read some pretty well-written articles, pack 12 football, man, I love these podcasts that I've been stumbling on and having all these conversations and West coast football is alive and well. That's all I got to say. Sounds a little like Bill Walton over here, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that, that I'm so excited for him to come back, but that is a whole nother day. Uh,
2: Anyways. Yeah. I I can't wait for football season. You guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time. Um, We will make sure to continue uh, following Oregon and you have a good season.